Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee Sills. I'm your host and astrologer for this podcast. In today's episode, we'll be exploring Scorpio as a sign and as a season. Uh, Scorpio season is beginning on October 23rd, and this is the span of time that extends between October 23rd and November 22nd. In part one of this episode, I'm going to look at Scorpio through its archetypal representations and in its energetic and experiential qualities, as well as its body rulerships. And we'll look at how we can explore these archetypes, these energies, these experiences and embodiments in a general way. I'll offer some suggestions for working with Scorpio as a quality in yourself. And then in part two, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of the astrology of Scorpio season and what to look out for in this season in terms of notable astrological events. So I'm excited about today's episode. I've been thinking about it a lot for the last couple of weeks, preparing, taking notes, appreciating Scorpio season as it arrives. Um, In the Northern Hemisphere where I live, Scorpio is the middle of autumn. And I'm definitely feeling the middle of autumn arriving. It is no longer the beginning of autumn. The leaves are now pretty much fully starting to change. A lot of them are falling. When I'm taking walks in the afternoon, I'm walking through a lot of uh, dying plant matter. And that uh, death process is so beautiful to witness. There are so many amazing colors and this kind of poignancy that comes uh, out at this time of year, especially um, with the receding light. Days are getting shorter and I tend to walk um, just before dusk. And I've been so appreciative of um, the potency of the plants as they start to contract and the you know, the seeds form and the plants kind of move into this um, really exquisite kind of moment when a lot of their colors get, um, I don't know, more condensed or, or more stark in a certain way. So I've been definitely really appreciating Scorpio season as it begins, thinking a lot about it. And before I begin, I just want to let you know a little bit about Embodied Astrology and my approach in case you're new to this podcast or in case you've been listening for a while and um, it's always good to have a refresher. So as I said, my name is Renee Sills. I come from a 25-year background at this point in somatic and embodiment practices. Um, I've studied a lot of different forms and when I say somatic or embodiment practices, Plenty of you will totally know what I mean, or you'll have your own associations. But for a lot of people, these words are unknown or they're new words. So um, somatic is a word that comes from soma, the uh, Latin root word for of the body. And of course, embodiment refers to also a body-centered kind of of practice or approach. Um, The way that I connect to somatic and embodiment practices Um, And there are lots of them, a lot of different avenues of exploration um, has been, my approach has been through um, kind of more therapeutic dance 
practices and um, working with emotional processes and release techniques in the body. I'm trained as a, a yoga teacher. I studied really intensely for about 15 years with um, a couple of different styles of yoga and was particularly interested in the, the philosophy of yoga and especially in the subtle energetics and subtle anatomy, understanding um, through the yogic or uh, Ayurvedic lens. Um, I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner, but I have a lot of deep respect for that path and that medicine. Um, in the last 10 years, I've been primarily studying through uh, the School for Body-Mind Centering, and that's a school that was started by a person named Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, who is still alive. I believe she's in her 80s at this point, um, and she's still teaching. And so if you are a somatic person or if you are a therapist of any kind, a yoga teacher, um, and looking to work with one of the best, I think Bonnie is um, really absolutely brilliant. And her work comes from a, a study of ontogenetic and phylogenetic development. And so that's development of the species, the human species, as well as development of our bodies from conception. And she thinks a lot about the intelligence of systems as they develop and as they grow. And how she works is to connect with the memories of our development and to help people um, rediscover or relearn a lot of the patterns that are part of our kind of inherent cellular wisdom or the wisdom contained within the, the cellular matrices. So um, that's my background in terms of embodiment. And then with astrology, I grew up with astrologers. I've been around astrology my entire life. Um, I've been learning about it since I was a baby. Um, and uh, I've been studying um, for probably about 11 or 12 years now pretty intensively and reading charts and working professionally as an astrologer for the last seven years. And in this time, I've been pretty interested in medical astrology. I'm not a medical astrologer. That's also a, a vocation that some people have and um, pursue it with a lot of focus. But I'm definitely interested in the correspondences between the body and astrology as they've been defined through medical astronomy. And I just want to give a brief aside that medical astronomy and Ayurveda actually have the same root and share a lot of the same knowledge. Um, but in general, a lot of the qualities that are described in astrology produce somatic associations for me. And this comes from my training and practice of embodiment. So when I hear about certain states of being, to me those relate very naturally to certain body systems or um, physiological uh, kind of events that happen in the body, reflexes, etc. Um, and at this point now when I read charts, I literally feel them. So I look at a chart and the language of astrology to me is immediately associated to embodiment or to some kind of somatic um, intuition. And so you may have heard me describe myself as a sensate intuitive or a somatic intuitive, and I definitely identify uh, with, with that name. Um, I believe that intuition is something that we all have and that can be developed and that we develop it through practice. So when I say that I'm a somatic intuitive or a sensate intuitive, I'm saying that I have a lot of training 
in somatics and in paying attention to sensation and working very deeply with my own sensation and also reading it in other bodies. So through um, years of watching bodies and if you're uh, some kind of, of movement facilitator or a body worker or somatic therapist, you know this as well. It's like after a certain point, you know, of um, you, you start off watching bodies and you can only see the gross movements like, oh, someone's moving their arm or their hand. But after um, a while of, of training, uh, you can actually see incredibly subtle movements, sometimes inner body movements that aren't even manifesting in um, the somatic um, muscles or, or the skeletal muscles, etc. So I wanted to, to give that kind of introduction to let you know how I'm approaching uh, today's episode and how I'm going to be thinking about Scorpio and some of the uh, astrology of Scorpio season that this is the lens that I'm looking through. Um, especially if you're new to the podcast, you should also know that I'm uh, definitely a feminist. I'm interested in intersectional feminism and um, really deeply committed to a practice of trying to understand how oppression works um, in society and in culture at large, and also through me, through my own bias. And this is something that I work with uh, with all of my clients and something that I definitely bring into my reading of astrology. I'm also a queer person, and so I read astrology through a queer lens. I'm not at all invested in maintaining a heteronormative framework. So if you are, um, you might hear some of what I say as um, challenging, but please, uh, you know, be patient with it and see if there's something that's interesting for you there. Um, and then finally, I do just want to say that astrology is a symbolic language that is incredibly old. It's been around for thousands of years. It's been recorded since the Babylonian Empire, but it existed definitely before that. Human beings have looked at the sky and wondered what it was all about for a long time and have been connecting with planetary influences and the cycles of the sun and the moon since we were on earth. Astrology exists all over the world. It has different names. It has different kinds of ways that it is practiced, um, but it certainly isn't a formula. And I've learned astrology through my own exposure to Hellenistic and Greek astrology, which is um, Western astrology or tropical astrology. But as I speak, please remember that this is a symbolic language and anything that I'm offering, um, you're totally welcome to take it and use it in a way that works for you. Uh, let whatever I offer spark your own intuition, your own imagination, make it relevant for you as you hear it. The only thing that I would say don't do is don't make it a formula. Don't make it some kind of um, essential rule <laughs> or rubric. Um, the astrology that's open-ended that leads us to ask big questions and look within, consider our contexts, and help us prepare for what's coming in terms of an observational practice, looking at cycles, looking at seasons, that's super helpful. Astrology that's prescriptive and telling you, you know, this is how you are and it cannot be changed and, oh, this thing is going to happen in the future and that's fate. Um, well, I think that's kind of bullshit. I don't really agree with it. So um, 
just to say that, just to put that out right now. So observe uh, for yourself how astrology works for you. Let my suggestions and the suggestions of any other astrologers just inform you and help you to build your own intuition. That is the name of the game. And Scorpio especially is such an important sign and quality and energy for us to be considering within the idea of intuition. Um, Scorpio, I think, is one of the most intuitive and psychologically astute signs of the zodiac. So let's talk about it. What is Scorpio? I want to start today by considering the archetypes uh, of the sign Scorpio. And so when you think about Scorpio, a lot of people think about a scorpion. And this is the name of the constellation, right? And uh, a lot of times what people will get, you know, tattooed or um, when they kind of make jokes about Scorpio, they'll talk about the sting and stuff like that. So when I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading um, Wikipedia on scorpions and trying to learn more about them. I didn't know a ton about scorpions as the actual creatures. And um, they're ancient creatures, so they've been um, around, I think, for something like 360 uh, billion years or something like that. It's like a really, really long time. And uh, they can be traced back to water-dwelling creatures that have kind of similar bodies but used to live in the water. And Scorpio is a water sign. We're going to get into that. What I was really interested to read about Scorpio, uh, excuse me, about scorpions, <laughs> was that they have multiple sets of eyes. And so um, there are a lot of different species, a lot of different classifications of, of scorpions. So it varies, but um, many scorpions have somewhere between two and seven sets of eyes. And their eyes are really good for dim light, and scorpions can uh, see with starlight, and they can see with moonlight. Um, they're not all nocturnal, but many of them, and spiders in general, are nocturnal creatures. Um, I was also really interested to learn that the, um, the stinger uh, of, uh, of a scorpion that kind of um, part of its body is covered in really fine hairs. And these are fine-tuned sensory organs. And so their sensory capacity allows them to, to plunge their stinger into exactly the right place because it's not something that they can see with their eyes is that location. Um, and so I was really interested in particularly these qualities of scorpions because Scorpio as a sign and as a quality is known for being incredibly astute and sensitive. Now all the water signs and the water signs include Cancer, Pisces, and Scorpio are known for being sensitive and particularly with Cancer and Pisces these signs are known for being emotionally very sensitive and perhaps taking things personally. Now, Scorpio can have that quality as well, but part of Scorpio's function is to be sensitive to its environment and to other creatures or beings in its environment so that it can respond. 
and this kind of sensory capacity that can pick up uh, information in the surrounding environment and hone in on it with a laser-like focus is something that Scorpio is known for. So I was kind of pleased to, to learn about these qualities uh, in Scorpions and their namesake. Um, and then also, you know, Scorpions, as, as well as many other um, insects and arachnids, have exoskeletons so they wear their skeletons on their outside and that means that they molt and uh, scorpions will go through I think like five to seven different moltings as they come into their adulthood and this idea of transformation of growing into oneself of shedding a skin is also very important for the the Scorpio energy and for the Scorpio mythology now that idea uh, recurs in Scorpio's other uh, associated archetypes, including the snake and the phoenix. And these two archetypes are not as commonly represented with Scorpio as a sign, but you will often see them. Um, so the serpent or the snake is often associated with Scorpio. And with the image of the serpent, we have at the same time an image of a deeply, deeply sacred animal that the snake, especially um, considered through more uh, earth-based or um, goddess-based religions, is a sacred totem. And that the serpent is a representation of a feminine capacity to um, give birth to to, to new life over and over again, to transform oneself. Again, the shedding of the, the skin is part of the archetype of the snake. And then the coil of the snake, this kind of uh, serpentine, cyclical embodiment of the serpent is very much a part of um, the association to the snake, but also association to Scorpio as a process. And I'm going to get into that as an idea more um, in a little bit in this podcast. To evil a lot of places and this association certainly comes through a Christian framework I don't know if the if that association is present in other religions but certainly through Christianity the snake um, as the temptress of Eve and as this kind of embodiment of evil has now been been perpetuated throughout the world and a lot of people are very scared of snakes they're very scared of spiders um, and these animals, these creatures, are really quite magical, right? And um, of course, there's a lot of appropriation that has happened throughout um, the history of the Christian empires um, in their uh, obliteration and exploitation or appropriation of more um, indigenous or um, goddess-based cultures and part of, of what happens with appropriation is taking the symbols that are sacred to one culture and then claiming them or appropriating, reappropriating them um, to mean something different. And this certainly has happened with the serpent and with the snake. Uh, finally, the phoenix is a mythical creature, is this mythical bird um, that I believe has its its roots in ancient Egyptian mythology and um, was then appropriated in Greek mythology. And this is a bird that uh, supposedly, you know, 
rebirths itself by bursting into flames. And so this bird uh, submits to death. It goes through a um, process of transformation and then is reborn. And there are a lot of different stories about the phoenix and its different associations. But with all of these creatures, we have kind of a recurring archetypal qualities of transformation. And that's such a, a deeply important part of Scorpio as an energy is the, um, the ability to die and to, to be born again, for something to uh, obliterate us, to, um, you know, to poison us, to, to kind of um, be, be consumed by whatever it is, some kind of experience that brings us into the dark, into the mystery, into some kind of, of threshold experience where we have to let go of who we were before. And then we re-emerge. And in the re-emergence, we come with newfound wisdom. We come with uh, a different kind of power and we also come with the memory and the embodied experience of having gone through a transformation which then leads to immense courage and these kinds of experiences are really key kinds of experiences when we think about Scorpio which is not just a sign that some people are born um uh, in the season of, and they can say, oh, I'm a Scorpio, but it's a sign that is in everyone's chart, influencing everybody in, in some kind of different way. And if you haven't already had an experience where you've gone through some kind of death or dying process and literally felt like you needed to give up part of yourself, um, then at some point you will, and that will happen before you actually die. So these kinds of experiences, um, these kind of other deaths, small deaths, um, which is also, uh, I believe, what the, the French call an orgasm. <laughs> it's a small death, uh, le petit mot, um, just also on a side, also associated to Scorpio. Um, we'll get there in a second. Uh, anyway, these small deaths are these experiences where we go through some kind of, of process of letting go of the ego, of really needing to dig into um, the kind of composting process where like we have to go through all these different parts, let things kind of break down and dissolve and slip away. And then something new comes from that space. But whatever it is that comes from that space would not have emerged on its own. It has to emerge from the transformational process. And so you might have experienced this in the death or the ending of a relationship or the death or the ending of some form of your identity. I'm thinking about a client that I had who was, um, they were a, a kind of childhood protege in um, dance. And, you know, their early lives were spent um, uh, really kind of identifying around this particular path that that they enjoyed, but also um, had been constructed for them by their family. And then um, through what seemed to be a really traumatic accident, they uh, couldn't 
couldn't engage with with dance in the same way anymore but because of that accident they actually ended up finding their path with movement and theater and expression that was actually authentic for them but the pain of being identified with something that wasn't quite the right fit of feeling that other people had power over their choices of feeling at the mercy of this accident that happens really needing to go through this process of fear and and grief as this old identity slipped away all of those elements were incredibly important for what they were then later able to build so as you think about this symbol of death and transformation and rebirth consider how you have done that in your life and how you are doing that in your life and what it has felt like or what it feels like to you because again this is um, you know Scorpio is an energy that we all have and that we all work with. So Scorpio is a water sign, as I mentioned previously, and in the astrological language, all of the water signs speak to aspects of our emotional experiences. Scorpio pertains to deep, uh, often subconscious or hidden or secretive kinds of emotions. So these types of emotions might be things like phobias or fears or traumas. Uh, repressed memories, places where, you know, we we hold a lot of energy and tension and kind of lock it in the basement, so to speak. Um, these kinds of emotions can also relate to deep passions, something that we uh, are really intensely compelled towards. And that can be a, a way of being, that could be a particular path, that can definitely be another person or um something to do with another person like sex, which is something that is often also very associated with Scorpio. Um, so the desires that we have and the attachments that we have to uh, the attainment uh, of our desires or their outcomes. And here I'm thinking specifically about sex, money, slash other kinds of resources, and power. And our desires for sex, money, and power are, um, you know, they're rooted in survival mechanisms, and they're rooted in the reptilian brain, even though they get threaded in, woven with a lot of other things, like what we're told by the media, or examples that we're given of what we should attain, or things like that. So as we grow and we mature, these desires become maybe a lot more sophisticated, or they take on different representations. But in their root, at their core, these are survival mechanisms. So our desire for sex um, at its core is an instinct to procreate and it's also an instinct to survive that when we bond uh, with another being that there's you know often a, a feeling of um, commitment on some level or there's an attachment and this increases the likelihood of our own safety and survival the uh, desire and the pursuit of resources whether that's money or food or something else um, valuable resources have changed throughout the the human experience so what's valuable now uh, might have been different you know however many years ago or however many years in the future but our desire to attain resources is also the desire to attain our own survival 
And the same goes for power. Of course, the more power we have, the more likely we are to survive, the more likely our family um, or the people that we're connected with are to survive. And these survival mechanisms could also be seen as the avoidance of death or the avoidance of, um, you know, some kind of experience of being unnecessary or unimportant. And that aversion, um, which is a biological instinct, we don't want to die, um, but we also want to be important. We, you know, want to be noticed by our our families. We don't want to be left behind. We want to be noticed by the objects of our attraction. We don't want to be ignored. Um, Those instincts are rooted in our reptilian brains. So when you think about Scorpio, think about the kinds of of emotional experiences that are very, very deeply rooted. These are instinctual, um, uh, often intergenerational, um, and, and very deeply attached kinds of experiences. And a lot of the time, they're also quite subconscious and that means that they've been buried below layers of conscious story so we make up stories about you know all of these different desires that we have and it's like oh I want you know money for that outfit so that this person will notice me blah 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 like we have our own narrative about it but then if we really sit with the feeling of what it is, oftentimes we can find these very deep kind of reptilian instincts that are underneath um, these more conscious narratives. Uh, One more thing about the kinds of emotions that Scorpio rules, and I mentioned this, that, that Scorpio can be associated to hidden or secretive emotions, and it's often associated to the taboo. And so what's taboo? It's going to be different for um, different people and different cultures. But when there's um, something that we are ashamed of, that's often what's taboo. If we feel like we've hurt someone else or we want to hurt someone else or we desire something that is bad for whatever reason, whatever that narrative is, um, these kinds of, of like weird, twisted, sticky emotions that get caught up in a narrative um, that is also based around survival or based around some kind of judgment system like good or bad, um, those, those hidden secretive emotions are where we, um, you know, maybe are having feelings that are like, not awesome, you know, and we've all had them. It's like um, the parts of ourselves that are manipulative, that are vindictive, that are jealous, that are spiteful. Um, those feelings can also be associated to Scorpio because they're not pleasant. They're not something that we're wanting to necessarily broadcast or show. And as we come into Scorpio season, you know, we're coming out of Libra season. And I think that considering the process or progress from one sign to the next is one of the really amazing things about astrology is you see how uh, energy moves and transforms itself. And as I talked about in last month's uh, Libra episode, Libra is a lot about, you know, balance, about considering what other people need. Um, To a certain extent, it's about what's superficial, what we present, because it's pleasing, because it helps us get along in the world. And 
there are often other experiences that are happening underneath the facade or the surface uh, level um, performances or presentations that we're giving. And often when I'm talking to clients and working with them, I'll be explaining the difference between the parts of the chart that Libra and Scorpio both rule. And in the part that Libra rules, I'll be talking about, okay, well, this is your idea of the relationship. This is your hope for it. This is how you put yourself out. This is your projected self in relationship. But then when we get into Scorpio, here's the actual shit of the relationship. This is your vulnerabilities. Uh, this is how you engage with intimacy. Here are, you know, the all the weird kinds of residues of your childhood experiences and, um, you know, your kinks and stuff that's uh, not something that is going to just be on the surface when you're meeting someone. So again, as you're thinking of Scorpio, think about the part of you that is behind the surface or that's underneath the surface, the ways that you keep uh, certain elements of yourself, especially the, the elements of your being that are too complex to really talk about. They feel like they're wound up with a lot of uh, memory or historical content, or if they're interwoven with more um, challenging kinds of emotions such as shame or jealousy uh, or your insecurities, your vulnerabilities. These are all Scorpio's terrain. Um, and Scorpio is very much, as I mentioned, related to our instinctual survival mechanisms. And so when we come into contact with uh, other people or with situations in our lives, we have instincts arise all of the time. We have instincts to defend ourselves. We have instincts to flee. We have instincts to uh, placate or pacify. We have instincts to uh, hide ourselves. And these are all um, on some level trauma responses. So anytime we might get overstimulated or feel threatened, we might feel some variation of the fight, flight, freeze, appease, or fold um, responses. Finally, uh, Scorpio relates to where we get hooked. And I think it was I think it was two years ago uh, for the embodied astrology episode on uh, on Scorpio season where I, I talked a lot about where we get hooked and um, where we get kind of uh, trapped or enchained. And this is a very strong association for Scorpio. It's where we um, actually are held in bondage is one of the ways to think about it. Um, <laughs> maybe not consensually, but maybe if you got a strong Scorpio chart, it's something that you choose. Um, hooks are where we get literally emotionally hooked with something. We can't let it go. We're obsessed. Um, we might feel trapped in something or we might feel hooked by someone else's uh, emotional attachment or their obsession. And these kinds of hooks, they're often, um, they often exist regardless of the actual consequence or the situation, but it's an emotional state that is elevated with the kind of intensity that we might have if it was a life or death or survival situation. Um, so for example, uh, you know, as a teenager, um, you're 
our emotions are so strong. And I remember um, in, as an adolescent kind of going through experiences where I would get really obsessed. You know, I might get obsessed with another person, get a kind of, of crush, or um, I might have a kind of obsession with the, the way that I wanted to be or the way that I wanted to come across. And I think that's something a lot of people experience in, in their teenage lives is um, this kind of weird reality where, you know, the, the group identity, um, other teenagers, the popular group or your friend groups or whatever, there can be a lot of pressure. And so if you do or do not perform in a particular way, it can feel literally like a life or death situation or whether or not your crush recognizes you can just take on such an intensity and those kinds of hooks those kinds of emotional um, anchors are also very much a Scorpio kind of experience and um, though those experiences have definitely subsided for me now that I'm thankfully <laughs> a long way away from being a teenager I still get them you know we still um, have those experiences throughout our lives where we get kind of emotionally rocked off balance where we experience our own obsessive tendencies or passionate natures that um, maybe aren't um, functioning for us in a very balanced way so again this is we're coming out of the energy of Libra um, which is a sign of balance and equanimity and now Scorpio is revealing the truth that it's hard to stay balanced for long there's always something that's going to pull us out of balance there's always a way that we will feel deeply attracted or deeply repulsed and and then we'll respond so as you think of Scorpio also think of these kinds of experiences where do you get hooked in your emotional nature what hooks you who hooks you how do you hook other people um, this is something that we all do definitely not something just to put on uh, Scorpio Sun people like oh that's you nope it's in all of us um, okay so finally I want to look at Scorpio in the body um, in the medical astrology association to Scorpio in the embodied rulership. Scorpio lives in the genitals and the reproductive organs, um, as well as the organs of elimination. <clears throat> so Scorpio rules your genitals, and it rules the organs as well as the physiology of regeneration, of procreation, and it rules the, the places in the body where you release matter that is no longer useful to you, where you shit or where you piss. And this place in our body is literally the place where um, we experience transformation of energy. So if we think about reproductive potentials in this part of our bodies, um, which everyone has to some extent, whether or not it's, um, I'm using air quotes, like, um, you know, functional in, in the way that a medical system might tell us it should be, um, or whether or not we choose to engage with our, with our bodies in this way, um, that th these are the reproductive places of the body. So how do we engage with the ideas and the emotional associations that we have around reproduction? Um, 
I hope that there are plenty of people who listen to that and are like, well, I engage with it in a really easy, natural, pleasurable way. I know for myself that um, engaging with the idea of procreation and reproduction has been really fraught. Um, I have a lot of fear of um, being pregnant and having children. And that has to do with my own birth story, my own birth trauma, as well as um, being the child of a really intense and, and awful and fairly violent divorce. And my own fear of what's happening in the world right now that um, I, you know, feel very frightened of being responsible for another person's life at a time in the world when uh, I there's no way that I feel like I could, um, you know, guarantee or, or promise that person any kind of, of good livelihood. So when I engage personally with this um, idea of the potential in my body, I run up against a lot of fear. And that fear feels generational, it feels ancestral, it feels... Um, full of shame in a certain way, you know, that um, I don't necessarily need to explain, but it's there for me. Um, and that's, that's my personal association to this part of my body. So what is it for you as you think about your reproductive uh, organs and um, the idea of a reproductive power? What is it for you? And then, of course, their genitals themselves and all the, the ways that we might think about genitals. We might glorify them. We might fear them. We might be disgusted by them. Um, certainly, we objectify them. We live, for, for the most part, in cultures that have um, reduced genitals into two different varieties, either a vagina or a penis. And, you know, vaginas look like this and penises look like that. And there's absolutely no variation in terms of anatomical modeling. And uh, the reality is, is that there's a huge spectrum of variety in terms of what genitals look like. And the um, spectrum of, of intersex um, uh, genital growth and, you know, ways that, that genitals might look or function that um, are not represented in um, medicine or, or in anatomy unless they're pathologized. So there's a lot of stuff that we have uh, it associated to genitals as well as to the reproductive organs. And when you think about your own relationship to these organs or to these places in your body, what comes up? When you think about other people's genitals or their reproductive organs, what happens? How do you respond? And take note of these very instinctual responses and these kind of immediate, and, and they often feel very visceral or very um, intuitive kinds of responses that you have. I'm guessing that in a lot of your responses, in a lot of our responses, there is um, a long history. And that history includes uh, cultural and familial conditioning. It includes um, both personal and collective traumas. And by collective trauma, one example that I mean is might share in collective trauma with other people who have vaginas and uh, uter uter uteri um, in that 
we, uh, those of us with, with these body parts have experienced rape for thousands of years. We've experienced uh, forced reproduction and we experience an ongoing violent objectification of our bodies. And so when I feel into my own anatomy and, and the memory and the histories that I have in this part of my body, I can't not also feel into a collective memory and a collective history. So consider this, you know, as you sit with, with your own embodied responses, that part of what Scorpio describes is an accumulated um, kind of, of residue of experience, of emotional imprints that build and layer on top of one another and become deeper and heavier and more intense. And when they manifest, they manifest, of course, through uh, situations and experiences that are very personal and that are present, but they also are manifesting in this, um, this history and this ongoing echoing of everything that has happened before and what's coming through in your family, what's coming through in culture, uh, what's coming through in you know, the kind of unconscious or subconscious memories and experiences that you've had, etc. These parts of our bodies are so potent, um, and I'm including now the, the organs of elimination, so your rectum and your asshole. These are parts of your body that are really fucking important, right? And when you think about, when I think about the transformational um, kinds of qualities that, that exist in this part of the body, of course, there's... Um, you know, fucking, there's conception, there's the miracle of life, there's giving birth, there's orgasm. And there's also, you know, taking a huge dump, there's the feeling of, of being able to release something from your body, or um, like a, a purging kind of experience that can happen in our bodies when you know, you eat something, and then it's like, ugh, your your body is ridding itself of whatever came through. We're just in healthy bowel function. Um, what is happening in your body is that your intestines are absorbing and assimilating everything that you need, and then the dense matter that you don't need, as well as um, a lot of uh, dead materials. So poop is made up of a lot of um, blood cells. That's part of why it's brown. Um, your body doesn't need it, and so it has to excrete it. It has to let it go. And poop is actually this amazing kind of substance. It's a fertilizer. And there are plenty of um, cultures and traditions that have known what to do with shit. Um, the kind of current industrial age seems to not have any idea um, what to do with it, which is really a pity that we have this pretty valuable resource um, of humanure um, that can actually be used for power, it can be used for fuel, and it can be used for um, fertilizer if it's treated and processed in the right way. And of course, fertilizer makes things grow. And so this process, this place where we experience both an ending and a beginning or a dying and a birthing um, is what Scorpio rules. 
Scorpio is associated to blood. It's particularly associated to menstrual blood and the power of, uh, of a body with a uterus to every single month prepare itself to nurture uh, and, and sustain growing life. And then if that doesn't happen, that there is a shedding and that the blood itself is really, really rich with nutrients, with iron. Um, a lot of people save their, their menstrual blood and feed it to their plants and then their plants thrive. So if we think about what happens in this part of the body as um, power and richness or wealth, we're also now associating to Scorpio and its correspondence to power and to wealth and uh, what is valuable. So Scorpio is representative of life and death. It's representative of these kinds of thresholds or transformative experiences. It's representative of deep and uh, residual accumulation of memory that solidifies and, accumul uh, and accumulates over time and becomes really powerful in its impact and its affect. And when you consider Scorpio, you definitely want to consider all of that. And you want to look at where Scorpio is in your chart. So what house does it rule? And this is where uh, it's really helpful to know your birth time. And if you know what time you were born, then you can very easily get a free astrology chart. There's a lot of different places to get one, but one of the easiest places is to go to my website, embodiedastrology.com. And if you click on horoscopes, you'll get a drop down menu and, um, and, and then in that column, you'll find get your free birth chart. And you don't need to, um, none of the information you put in will go to me, you can simply just input your name and your birth time, and where you were born. And it's an app. And so you'll get a birth chart. And in the birth chart, you uh, will kind of see that the chart is circular, that it's divided into 12 parts. Those 12 parts are called houses. And wherever Scorpio as a sign is, that energy of Scorpio is influencing this particular arena of life. And that's what the houses determine. So for example, if you are a Leo rising person, you'll have Scorpio in your fourth house. And this is the place of home and family. And so then we might go, okay, well, in the the places of your life that you associate to home and family, and that could be your uh, ancestral and um, biological or your lived experience, uh, home and family, this might also be some kind of idea as um, what it means to feel at home or what it means to be familial or have a sense of belonging with others. In, that, in those areas of your life, you are going to experience deep uh, emotional intensity and attachments. You're going to need to confront what is hidden. You're going to find out a lot about power, um, your own power and other people's power. You will have to transform what's unconscious. Um, you'll have a lot of experiences around acting from your instincts, especially when it comes to your desires and um, 
your survival instincts and your personal power. This will be a place where others might project power onto you. This will be a place where you experience um, hooks and deep attachments. Um, so look at your natal chart and find the place where Scorpio is and then start to consider what part of your life is Scorpio really deeply influencing. Now you can also look at what's called the eighth house and the eighth house is always in the same place for everybody's chart um, and the eighth house is associated to the eighth sign which is Scorpio and the eighth house is the area of life that deals with um, debts, inheritances, shared resources, taboos, secrets, and death and these are all Scorpio's themes but here we have the actual circumstances. You know, who are you indebted to? What are you inheriting? Um, shared resources, if you share money with somebody or if you share power with someone, these are often experiences that get us emotionally hooked and entangled and enmeshed with one another. Um, if you have secrets, you know, if you're keeping a secret, then this is also a way that you get emotionally entangled or that you get hooked or that you have some kind of experience with your own power, either the kind of blocking and locking up of your own power or power that you might wield over someone else. Um, and then finally, you can look at Scorpio's ruling planets. And the planets you can think of as kind of moving embodiments or emissaries of Scorpio's energy. Scorpio has two ruling planets. Um, its classical ruling planet is Mars. And Mars is associated to, um, with Scorpio specifically, is associated to desire. And desire can be for all kinds of things sex for sure, your eros, um, your kind of erotic desire, but also desires for attainment, desires for possession, uh, desire for power. It's kind of your drive. And Mars is also associated to our capacity for violence or for defense. Um, and so if we think about you know, a lot of, again, Scorpio's totems, particularly with the scorpion, um, and the potential that we have to defend ourselves is a very instinctual response. Scorpio's modern ruler is Pluto. Um, after last month's uh, Libra season um, episode, I think I talked about Pluto and I was like, I, I know it was declassified as a planet, but astrologers still use it. And then someone told me that um, Pluto has been reclassified as a planet. I haven't verified this. Just wanted to throw that in in case you're listening and like, actually, Renee. Um, so remember, astrology is a symbolic language. It is not the science of astronomy. We are storytellers and we are intuitives um, and we are observers. So Pluto is an object that we observe. And whether you want to call it a, a planet or a dwarf planet or, um, you know, a planetoid or whatever, uh, it's still an important energy in the astrological lexicon and it's associated to Scorpio. And Pluto is associated to the qualities of Scorpio that include obsessions, um, possessiveness, and where we, we want to hook or ensnare uh, someone else or where we get hooked and ensnared, where we get our power bound up and we have to kind of uh, wrestle with it. 
Um, Pluto is very much associated to ancestral memory um, as well as to trauma. So it's it's what has been buried underneath and kind of the power of that resonance as it um, influences us, whether consciously or unconsciously, and especially as it rises into our conscious awareness, then we get to transformation, which is a really big keyword for both Pluto and Scorpio. Um, okay, so I am going to get into the astrology of Scorpio season next. Before I get into all that, I want to let you know about a special event that's coming up, and I would love to see you there if you're in the Minneapolis area. Um, I'll be hosting an astrology dinner party at The Future, and I haven't been to The Future, so I can just tell you what I know about it. Um, it sounds like it's an amazing kind of hybrid space. It's a it's a store and a workshop space and a cultural center run by some pretty awesome uh, witchy type folks, and um, they have a uh, kind of artist and witches residency, so I'll be participating in that residency um, in November. And on November 11th, I will be hosting this astrology dinner party. And this is a really important day in Scorpio season because it's the day that the Sun and Mercury form their inferior conjunction. And I'm just about to tell you what that means uh, in the next part. And it's also the day before the Taurus full moon. So we'll have a full moon ceremony and we're going to um, kind of co-create uh, a collaborative dinner together. Um, when you register for the dinner, um, you're asked for a small financial contribution or donation, but your ticket cost is actually to bring um, specific ingredients. And so there are only 13 tickets available, um, and all 13 people will be responsible for bringing some portion of the dinner that we're going to make together. And all of the ingredients are associated to planets in the chart for the full moon. So we're going to be uh, learning astrology through cooking together. And this is an event that I've done iterations of a couple of different times. It's always really fun. It is um, an interactive, kind of silly, but also really um you know, it's it's experiential learning. So for me, that's always the most effective learning. It's uh, a way that something can really land. So if you're interested in learning astrology from this standpoint, or if you just want to come and hang out with a group of weirdos in a weird space, if you want to meet me and talk about astrology, um, I would love to see you there. So as I mentioned, there are only 13 spaces. There have already been a couple of tickets sold. Um, they will sell out. So if you are in Minneapolis and you want to come, that's the evening of November 11th, make sure that you register soon. You can find information uh, for the event on my website, embodiedastrology.com, in the play and learn section under live events, or you can also find it on Facebook if you search for Embodied Astrology or Seen the Future, um, uh, or if you look on the Future's website, the Future Minneapolis, um, you, you can find information in all of those places. sponsorship messages and I do just want to say that if you have a business and you would ever like to be a sponsor of Embodied Astrology um, send me a message we can talk about you being a sponsor uh, in this space as well so I will be back with you in just a moment for the upcoming astrology of Scorpio season 
Hello and welcome back everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and uh, for listening to the sponsor messages. Um, Those sponsorship messages help me to sustain embodied astrology and help me to keep going with this offering. As you might know, all of my podcasts, and that includes these uh, monthly podcasts as well as the guided meditations that I offer and all of my audio horoscopes are all offered for free. I believe that this work is healing and I want it to be a healing force in the world. I do not want there to be a financial barrier for people to access it, and that feels really important to me. If this work is important to you, and if you find benefit in it, please help support and sustain it. The easiest way that you can support Embodied Astrology is by sharing it. Uh, sign up for the newsletter, forward the newsletter onto your friends and family, post and repost on social media, leave five-star reviews on Apple iTunes or your other listening platforms. Um, when you share it, it helps drive traffic to my site. It helps other people uh, know about this work, and that helps me with the, the sponsorships and how many people listen to them. Um, a monetary contribution is also so appreciated, always so appreciated. You can leave a one-time tip or donation by going to embodiedastrology.com and in the upper right-hand corner you'll find the tip jar or you can simply uh, find the link in the show notes on this episode. And if you listen regularly and um, appreciate Embodied Astrology, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. You can subscribe at any amount per month. It's by donation and 50 cents or a dollar means something. It is helpful. Please know that anything that you can offer as a regular offering helps to sustain me and helps me to come to this work every single month to produce it. And that doesn't just mean recording it. It means a lot of research. It means doing all the audio editing, all the back end futzing around with um, the internet and getting it uploaded and everything like that. So um, when you become a subscriber, you are basically helping me to produce this work. Um, If you are a monthly recurring donor, you also get access to my extended subscriber offerings. And those offerings include once per month extended forecasts for the month. Um, That's an audio recording form and you'll also get a downloadable PDF calendar. And in those offerings, you'll find day-to-day information about all of the upcoming planetary transits and the lunar cycles. So a lot more than what I offer in these free monthly episodes. Um, You'll also get deep discounts on anything that I offer that's digital. So uh, discounts on my year ahead birthday reports, there's a new report that's out for Scorpio now, um, as well as discounts on my online classes and sometimes for events that I do. So please support Embodied Astrology and thank you so much for your support. Uh, All right, so let's get into the astrology for Scorpio season. So as I just mentioned, I'm not gonna go through all of the astrological transits for Scorpio season, which there are plenty. Um, So if you're interested in following along day by day, become a subscriber. Um, I do post about some of them on Instagram, so you can also follow me at Embodied Astrology. 
Um, but I now want to talk about the, the most notable events that are happening throughout Scorpio season, uh, most of which are happening in the sign Scorpio. And there is a lot going on this month in Scorpio. This is deep Scorpio energy this year. And it's not every year. You know, sometimes it's just the sun and the moon coming through. Um, Mercury always travels close to the sun. Venus does as well. But the, the Mercury retrograde that we'll have and um, some of what's happening with Venus this month, um, that is notable. So on October 23rd, the sun enters Scorpio. If you're listening sometime in the future, uh, that already happened. Um, as the sun comes into Scorpio, it starts to bring more attention and uh, consciousness into the sign. So we find that our attention is now drawn towards a deeper kind of emotional experience. We might become more compelled by psychological observation. We might feel ourselves become more uh, sexual, more desirous, more intense in our interactions. Um, as you think about some of the, the Scorpio information that you just um, received in the first part of this podcast, notice how throughout this month, um, these kinds of themes come up for you and how you relate with them. The sun coming into Scorpio is meeting up with Venus and Mercury already in Scorpio. Uh, Venus, when it, it fills a sign, it brings its qualities of love, pleasure, value, and magnetism to that sign. And so Venus and Scorpio might be a quality of enjoying a, a deeper kind of more intense emotional experience or um, fascination or lustiness. It might be uh, attraction to a, a more kind of dangerous or um, you know, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like bad girls uh, element, like when you're seeing um, some kinds of qualities in people and you're going, mm, there's something else that's there. Venus and Scorpio can really like that. So there might be a lot of appreciation for the mysterious um, or kind of the more uh, destructive qualities that can come out in people. Mercury as a planet is a symbol of the mind and the communicative processes. And so with the mind, we have, of course, our thoughts. Uh, we also have what's underneath the thoughts, which are our perceptions. And what we perceive is very, very limited. Um, you know that you are not capable of perceiving everything that there is to perceive, even in just the space around you. So our eyes can only pick up a tiny fraction of the available light. Our ears can only hear a tiny fraction of the available um, frequencies. And even if we can pick up information, it doesn't mean that we will. We tend to focus on um, certain things. And what we focus on in some ways can be predetermined through what's called premotor focus. And this has a lot to do with our bias. And I think that Mercury is very much a uh, kind of symbol of this type of bias or premotor focus. And then it is a symbol of how our minds narrate the experience of what we are perceiving. So wherever Mercury is, we might have more attention there. We might be thinking about it more and we might have experiences that are coming up that are drawing our awareness and the need to communicate or narrate our experiences. 
Um, on October 27th, the moon will enter Scorpio where it will meet the sun and we will have a new moon at four degrees of Scorpio. So check your natal chart. Notice if there are any important planets or points around four degrees of Scorpio or the other fixed signs, and that includes Scorpio's opposite sign Taurus, as well as Leo and Aquarius. If you have important planets or placements in the early degrees of these signs, this new moon will be aspecting uh, your natal placements through what's called hard aspect, and those aspects are typically a lot more noticeable um, and intense. And uh, you might also look to see if you have uh, placements around uh, the early degrees of the other water signs, Cancer or Pisces, and this new moon then is giving a, a kind of lending aspect to those natal placements. This is an important new moon. It is opposite to the planet Uranus in uh, Taurus at four degrees Taurus. Uranus is currently retrograde, and um, I'll be talking more about Uranus throughout the month if you follow me on Instagram, especially around the full moon, which I'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Um, but this planetary energy, this is a, a slow-moving, longer-term transit. It's about two years into what's almost a nine-year transit. And this is intense change. Um, a lot of the structures of our lives are starting to change. And of course, we can understand this environmentally. Uh, we might also think about these changes happening economically. Taurus is associated to both the earth and economies. Um, but we might also think about just some of the deeper seated habits that we have in our lives and how uh, we might be changing in our experiences and our sensations and our preferences, etc. So the new moon is a time when the sun and the moon come together in the sky. And from a medical astrology point of view, the sun and the moon respectively rule our right and our left eyes. And so this brings a lot of focus into whatever the sign is. There's increased attention in Scorpio for the Scorpio new moon. Um, you'll often hear people talk about the new moon as a time to set intentions or plant a seed or begin something new. And this is definitely the beginning of a new cycle as well as the ending of an old cycle. You can think about the lunar phases in their month-to-month -month, uh, cyclical nature from new moon to full moon. I often think about the lunar phases uh, through the yearly cycles, and so you might reflect back on last year's Scorpio season, so um, late November and, excuse me, late October and the uh, first three weeks or so of November in 2018. What were you experiencing then? What was going on for you? And especially um, if you know what house Scorpio rules in your chart, uh, consider those kinds of themes and then think about everything that we've already kind of gone over in terms of thinking of Scorpio in its association to a deeper emotional nature, to how you understand trauma in your own lived experience, in your family, um, to your engagement with psychological or emotional hooks, etc. Um, how have you been evolving and developing your consciousness and awareness in these last 12 months in regards to these themes? And then with 
this new moon in Scorpio, what are you calling in? How do you want to cultivate your awareness in relationship to these themes now? And in whatever house Scorpio rules in this area of life, what are your intentions for your new beginnings? As I mentioned, uh, the new moon is exactly opposite to Uranus and Taurus. And so this gives us a lot of support to actually create some pretty profound change at this time and to seed some new ideas. Um, so that's on the new moon is on October 27th. And I'll be releasing um, a guided meditation that weekend, the 27th is a Sunday. So be on the lookout, I'll send it out through the newsletter and I'll post it on social media uh, for a meditation to reflect on these themes as well. On Halloween day, which is October 31st, Mercury will station retrograde. Mercury is retrograde in Scorpio um, for this cycle. It, turns retrograde at 27 degrees of Scorpio and it will move all the way back to 11 degrees of Scorpio. Now this uh, retrograde um, phenomena is an apparent phenomena. That means that it appears to us here from Earth that the planet Mercury is traveling uh, in reverse direction to what it normally does. Now as I was speaking about a moment ago, Mercury is a symbol for our mind and communicative processes and perception. So think about these qualities seeming to go backwards. Um, communication can kind of get really wonky during a Mercury retrograde. We might say things that seem kind of banal and then they spiral into something that ends up being a whole mess. Or there might be a lot of miscommunications or misperceptions during Mercury retrograde. Um, this is a time when people experience and report an increase in mishaps of all kinds, uh, plans failing, technological uh, failures and breakdowns, etc. Um, Mercury is associated to technology and particularly to technologies for communication, your computer, your phones, um, phone lines, the internet, and a lot of times we experience uh, these tools and um, systems kind of going down or malfunctioning during Mercury retrograde. I do want to say that in my experience, the days that are immediately around Mercury's station and the day of Mercury's station are the most intense. And these days are called the storm. So Mercury enters its storm on uh, October 27th, which is the day of the full moon, and it will leave its storm on November 3rd. And those days are days to definitely move a little bit slower, um, give yourself and everybody else space to uh, maybe make some mistakes and be very aware of your communications, be mindful with your communications. Particularly since this Mercury retrograde is occurring in Scorpio, what we have is the symbol of the mind and perception and cognitive processes going backward, um, reflecting on returning to deep emotional content. And when Mercury is retrograde in a water sign, we often have a lot of kind of stirring up of the emotional field. 
because Scorpio is so associated to these deeply held emotional attachments, expect that during the Scorpio season, you're going to be working with them. Um, I don't know what they're going to be for you, but something is going to get churned up. And this is an opportunity. Mercury retrograde cycles are not here to be a pain in your ass. They are actually here as a gift. You know, we can't always be forward moving and productive. We need to reflect. We need to remain. Um, I've had a lot of teachers who encourage me to think about retrograde with the RE prefix. And so anything that's about um, reflection, remaining, revising, researching, etc. These are the ways that we want to think about the opportunity of Mercury retrograde. And again, consider uh, what house Scorpio rules for you, what areas of life Mercury is retrograde in. These are going to be a lot of the themes that are coming up for your research. On November 11th, uh, once again, this is the day of the astrology dinner party in Minneapolis. If you can come, see you there. November 11th is the day that Mercury and the Sun form their inferior conjunction. So the reason that Mercury appears to go retrograde has to do with its proximity to the Sun in relationship to Earth's proximity with the Sun. And from our vantage point, uh, Mercury travels really sorry, Mercury travels really quickly around the sun compared to Earth's orbit. And from our vantage point, um, that means that Mercury and the sun are always fairly close to each other. But because of the differences between our orbit and Mercury's orbit, there are periods of time when uh, what we see as Mercury, the light of Mercury, um, is either uh, in front of or behind the sun. And so that means that Mercury is, is coming up either in the, in the morning or the evening. And so when Mercury and the sun form their conjunctions, these are moments when we're experiencing the retrograde phenomena, when Mercury is shifting either from a, a morning star to an evening star, evening star to a morning star, etc. So Mercury forming its inferior conjunction with the sun is the end of Mercury's uh, presence as an evening star. And when Mercury becomes visible again after this conjunction in a couple of, of days, uh, it will reappear as a morning star. So in this moment of the Mercury sun cycle. Um, this is a moment when symbolically the planet that represents the mind uh, comes right into the heart of the sun. It becomes invisible uh, with the sun, within the sun's radiance. And if we think about this as a symbol, we might consider the sun as this kind of supreme radiance or supreme consciousness infusing the mind with its message. At the inferior conjunction, um, this is a moment when we might remember something or have some kind of revelation that's important within the retrograde cycle. So remember that I was talking about the retrograde as being a time when we are reflecting on something, when we're digging something something up. Um, Mercury has already passed this point once uh, in its forward movement. Uh, it already went past 18 degrees Scorpio, um, which is where it will come together with the sun. And now it's returning to this point. And it's at this point where it becomes infused with some kind of idea. 
So on November 11th, just notice what's going on for you and notice what you're thinking about, what your experiences are, etc. Um, the moon is making a couple of important aspects this day, uh, including a sextile to Neptune and a trine with Saturn. There's a lot of intuition available. There's a lot of awareness of, again, these longer term changes that we're working on. And this conjunction might um, kind of bring up some potent awareness. Um, so be aware. And on the next day, on November 12th, is when we have the full moon. So the inferior conjunction is occurring uh, basically with the energy of the full moon. And the full moon is often a time of revelation or illumination of some kind when the solar light, and in this season we've got the solar light of Scorpio, is reflected by uh, the, the lunar energy. And astrologically, the, the moon represents what is more subjective, what's more internal. It has a lot to do with our memories, our kind of more emotional selves, our more private personal selves. And the full moon in Taurus uh, represents the other side of Scorpio's axis. Um, the opposite sign to Scorpio, Taurus, is representative of life of the kind of fertility and the fullness of life and the sensate experience. Scorpio and Taurus are very much two parts of the same continuum. They both are associated to deep attachments, to possessiveness, uh, to life and death and to fertility and the regenerative transformational processes. Uh, look to see where Taurus is in your chart and notice if you have any important points or planets around 19 degrees um, of Taurus, that's where the full moon will be. And as the moon is full, it's also forming a trine with Pluto. And this is bringing in uh, more of this kind of deep transformational energy. Remember that Pluto is one of Scorpio's rulers. And um, you've heard me talk in previous episodes, um, including quite a bit in last month's Libra season episode about Pluto and Capricorn. So the full moon will be working with that transformative kind of long-term uh, process that many of us are in, um, where we're seeking to understand a kind of uh, deeper meaning that we are building our lives on and how to work um, most effectively within these rapidly transforming and changing circumstances on Earth. On November 18th, Mars, also one of Scorpio's rulers, will enter the sign Scorpio where it will transit until January 3rd. So Mars in Scorpio is Mars uh, functioning really strong. It's at home in Scorpio. And remember that Mars in Scorpio is associated to Eros, to our sexual desire and instinct, to our survival instincts, our defensiveness, our power. Um, Mars in Scorpio has quite a lot of intensity to it. And you can harness this intensity wherever you have Scorpio in your chart. This is a place where you might experience increased energy, increased focus, increased desire. There may also be stuff to work through. Um, Mars can have a kind of agitating effect or an inflammatory effect as well. So if things are coming up that feel uh, conflicting or feel aggravating, um, of course, try not to be overboard with them, but see them as messages. There's something here that's ready to kind of come to the surface and 
be transformed. Now, Mars is entering Scorpio on November 18th, and that's just two days before Mercury turns direct on November 20th. So remember what I said about the days um, of and immediately surrounding Mercury's station as being weird fucking days. Um, on the 18th, with Mars entering Scorpio and Mercury being in its storm, um, which is basically Mercury appearing to stand still in the sky um, just before it stations for a number of days, uh, ju just be aware that there might be some heavy energy going on in those days. And if you feel really intense, um, don't think it's going to last forever. Do try and apply your psychological awareness and your powers of perception, uh, both Scorpio traits, to understand the deeper meaning of what's being presented to you at this time. Um, Mercury will turn direct on the 20th and it's turning direct at 11 degrees of Scorpio. Now, it previously passed 11 degrees. Now, remember, a retrograde is when the planet um, appears to turn around and go back to some point it previously passed. So it previously passed 11 degrees on October 11th. And this is the beginning of what's called Mercury's shadow phase, when it started to traverse territory that it would return to. So as Mercury turns direct, Consider all the way back to October 11th, some five or so weeks before, what has been going on in this period of time? What has been pulled up from the depths, brought into attention? What have you been working on? What have you been processing? Um, as Mercury turns direct, you will probably start to come into a, a point of clarity or resolution with some of these matters. And it's still going to be a couple of weeks uh, that Mercury takes to finish up the shadow period because now it has to um, return once more uh, across the terrain that it retrograded past. So it finishes its shadow on December 7th. And during those couple of weeks between November 20th and December 7th, this period in the Mercury retrograde cycle is often the period when we start to understand uh, a lot of what the retrograde was about, when things start to clarify, when they start to resolve, etc. Now, you've probably heard that Mercury retrograde is not a time to make important decisions or sign important contracts, etc., especially since Scorpio is so closely associated to money and to deep entanglements, I would say that especially with this Mercury retrograde, be mindful of how you are getting uh, attached and tangled up with agreements with other people and with your money and with your power. Now, we can't always avoid making these kinds of decisions during a Mercury retrograde. So if you do need to make some important decision or purchase during this time, try to negotiate as much leniency as you possibly can within those agreements and really um, try to see all sides. Like you might ask for second, third, fourth opinions, ask your friends and family to pitch in um, with their perspective and their advice. Um, again, because Mercury is a symbol of the mind and during retrograde, the mind is traveling backwards, we can often miss important pieces of information during a retrograde. Um, so if you have the luxury of waiting for any important decisions, you might consider waiting until the shadow period is complete on December 7th. All right. So in summary, Scorpio season, um, Scorpio is a sign that is deeply associated to sex, death, 
power and transformation. These are really big themes. Now, those words do not adequately um, articulate the feelings of Scorpio, the immensity of Scorpio. So as you consider the key words, consider it through embodiment. When you think about sex, what is it actually? You know, it's not just fucking. Sometimes it is. But in terms of desires, in terms of instincts, um, where does it land in your body? What kinds of feelings does it produce? What kinds of focus does it stimulate in your mind, in your cognitive awareness? This is Scorpio being embodied. Um, you are always in a state of transformation. We're all always dying in some way. There's some way that we're always kind of letting things go, that we're processing, that we are um, generating and regenerating. Consider what kinds of transformational processes you're in right now, what you are trying to transform, what you're working with in your deep psyche and your deep emotions, and call those processes in for this Scorpio season. Um, astrology isn't causal. I don't think it's uh, necessarily something where we can look at astrology and say like, oh, this thing is going to happen. But we can look at astrology and say this kind of energy is going to be emphasized for this span of time. You can use it effectively or not. This upcoming season is a time when we can really effectively harness our energy for transformation. There's so much support with Mercury's retrograde, with Mars moving into Scorpio, uh, with Venus being there for a good part of the month. Um, and especially with some of the aspects that the new and the full moons are making, there's so much energy for us to do deep transformative work uh, in this season to understand ourselves more deeply, um, to do some of the, the weeding out and the letting go and the releasing, as well as calling in what we want to cultivate cultivate and what we want to develop. So um, consider that with, with Scorpio season, what do you want to focus on? Um, this season is full of energy. It's full of energy to reflect, to refine, to rework our relationships to Scorpio and to everything that we associate it with. So I hope that that's what it is for you. Um, please do listen to your audio horoscopes for Scorpio season. In those horoscopes, I kind of break it down for you, uh, for your sign or for your rising sign where the astrology is happening. A lot of people have questions about the difference between the uh, sun sign or the rising sign and which horoscope they should listen to. Uh, I say listen to both. If you have different sun and rising signs, you can get valuable information from both of them. The sun sign is going to tell you something that's uh, more about your essential nature and the solar energy that you have is an energy that has to be expressed. You might think of this as akin to your spirit. The rising sign will tell you something that is uh, perhaps a little bit more related to your day-to-day -day life and to the experiences that you're having um, here in your body uh, throughout your days. So both of them can be very relevant. Uh, both of them are suggestions. They're pieces of mystical advice. So again, take what works, leave the rest, um, apply anything that you got from this episode uh, or from any other astrological resource and think about these kinds of occurrences, these energies working in the parts of your chart where Scorpio lives. 
Um, finally, if you want to know more about Scorpio season, once again, please do become a subscriber and follow along with me day by day for all of the important planetary transits and lunar cycles, what phase the lun the moon is in, what sign it's going through, um, can be such a great and easy way to learn about astrology and to observe how it happens and how it works for you. Um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And I'm always wanting to offer uh, embodied astrology for healing and for upliftment. So if there are any things that you particularly enjoy or any feedback that you have to give, I'm always open ears, open eyes. If you want to send me an email or send me a message. And um, once again, thank you. I'm wishing you all the best in Scorpio season and beyond. Much love, everyone. Bye for now. <laughs>